Jesus is not saying that we should never make mistakes, that we should never do anything wrong for the rest of our lives. That would be impossible. What he's saying is when, you, when it comes to love, especially when it comes to loving those people that are hard to love, you can be perfect in that. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. You know, it's, we've been talking about every week as we get into these ten words that they begin that the first word is not a negative commandment. The first word is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery. Uh, brought you out of the house of slavery. And then it starts with, you shall have no other gods before me. It's a reminder of the work that God has done to rescue his people and to rescue us. And so the rest of these words are how we live together in a world, in a community where God is our father, God is our God, and we are seeking how to create space in life where everyone else can worship freely and grow freely and get on with our lives in a way that brings life rather than take life away. So we come to the word today, which is the third in a string of commands that are just two words in the Hebrew. Uh, no murder, no adultery, and then this one is no stealing. And so it's kind of the poetry of the Ten Commandments works. We have this preamble and these great words about God rescuing us. And then there's more explanation as we go through and we see the Sabbath. And later on, there's, in the next couple of weeks, we'll see some longer explanations. But it, as the language is beautiful and as they're, uh, you know, God is speaking to the people in a way that we can all understand. And so it's great to have in the middle, it's sort of just like this little pause. And okay, here's this, here's this, and here's this. And it's a very simple thing that we can all understand, but it's a deep and rich and complex word that we get to look at today. So uh, we're just going to dive right in to the seventh word today. Now, I know when you think of stealing, I know y'all aren't sitting here this morning just contemplating how you might steal somebody's car during lunch. You know, while everyone else has baked potatoes running around, you're going to slip out in the parking lot and find something unlocked and drive it away and head to Mexico to, you know, rejoin your new partnership with the cartel or whatever. I, like, I know that that's not the average thing that's going on in our minds. I know most of you aren't sitting there thinking how you're going to sneak into Allsup's a little later at the most opportune time when it's busy and take a Snickers bar, you know, courtesy of what we used to call the five-finger discount, right, in high school. So I know you're not contemplating that, but we see the effects of theft play out uh, around us most every day. And so we're just asking the questions like, what does it look like? Uh, what is theft? Why do we steal? And then what in the world do we do about it once this happened? And so why does this word make the top 10? And how do we guard our hearts against the temptation to stumble in this particular way? Now remember, the, uh, the joy, the reason that God starts the way he does and talks to us is that we can rebuild when things have been torn up. That these words are merely to show us where we should be and when we find ourselves not where we should be, there's a way back. That's called forgiveness and restoration. And that's what the scriptures, that's what God is all about as he's rescuing us. So when we see these negative commandments, we always have the positive dimension of how we live them out positively and how we find healing once we've fallen in a hole. So here we are working through this together. Micah 6.8, you'll recognize the familiar text 
uh, the prophet is saying, you know, is the Lord going to be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? If I bring all the sacrifices that I have in my house, if I give my firstborn up, is it going to solve the issue of my transgressions or the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And the answer, he has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? That's a great life mission statement, right? To do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. It's a great way of life. And so the seventh word, do not steal, picks up on the fact that when we do not cultivate the virtues of generosity and justice, we are most susceptible to greed which is the heart condition that makes stealing possible. It's the heart condition that makes theft possible. All right, we're going to go back to my childhood and my grandma's record player and uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford. Y'all remember the song, You Load 16 Tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Well, St. Peter, don't you call me. Some of y'all are saying it with me, because I can't go, because I owe my soul to the company store. Right? Is that a great, it's a great ballad of the pain of what it was like to be a coal miner in Kentucky or West Virginia or Appalachia, wherever you were back in the day when the company store owned the mine, they owned the store, they owned your house, and they owned you. That was one of the greatest experiences living in Kentucky is we got to tour an old coal mine and they would talk through, you know, and they'd show you the math. They have these old ledgers of what it was like and what you would see and you're going, okay, you get paid this much and we're going to take this much for the house and we're going to take this much for this and then we'll loan you the rest at the store because you can't buy groceries with what you're left with and then of course after a while you, you've just got all your debt is tied up to the company that you work for so you're going, I'm going to work until my lungs give out just so my family can eat. So that's a way of looking at theft from the aspect of the one who's holding the keys it's like the old joke. Do you remember the comic, The Wizard of Id? So in 1964, there was a comic that came out, and you've got the king in color, and he's up in his, you know, in his castle, and he's shouting down to the people, we must live in peace and tranquility with everyone. And, and you've got the peasants down here going, what does that mean? And he says, remember to live by the golden rule. And they're like, what the heck's the golden rule? And of course, we know the golden rule from Jesus is, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But there's a guy that smarts off in the back and says, well, what does the golden rule mean? He says, well, the golden rule is the one who has the gold makes the rules. You know, that's, that's the way that works. So if you own the coal mine, you make the rules. And that's where we get to. Another great country song that captures one of the ways that we steal um, is uh, the Johnny Cash song I used to love and still love. Uh, you know, I got it one piece at a time, right? I got it one piece at a time and it didn't cost me a dime. <laughs> and you'll know it's me when I come through your town. You know, he's got the, the pain of going to the title office and they're like, what model is it? He's like, ah, oh, it's a 50, 51, 52, 53. The idea is he, he stole a car one piece at a time while he's working. You know, I took the small parts in my lunchbox and then the rest of it I had to get a little help with. But it's a beautiful story about how, you know, you just take a little bit, a little bit. And it's, in, it's genius. And we love Johnny Cash, but it's theft, right? And so that's how most of our theft, ha theft happens. It's just, you know, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. It didn't cost me anything, but I just kind of chipped away at it. And after a while, I don't even realize that I'm doing it. And so here we are. Um, 
And so one of the real convicting passages that I read this week, uh, I was going through Habakkuk 2, the prophet Habakkuk, he says, look, if you build your house with unjust gain, all right, if you build your house through theft, then the stones in the wall will cry out and the timbers will echo, hey, (laughs) you built your house with unjust gain. I mean, it's like, you just think, whoo, I made it. I got the house built and I did it unjustly. But it's Habakkuk saying, you're not gonna get away with it. Like one of these days, like you're gonna listen to that song your whole life, the dang timbers are gonna cry out. Hey, you stole us, you know? We weren't supposed to be here in this way. So there's a sense in which, in in God's heart for justice that these these things come back around. And so we steal just a little bit at a time. Now this sets up a few of the ways that we see theft happening around us. Now, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this, but I wanted to just kind of go through a list of things that are familiar. I just kept thinking of stuff. At first, I looked at it, I go, oh gosh, you know, we're not, we're not tempted to steal stuff, you know, what are we going to go? And then I started thinking of all these examples in my life where things have been stolen around, and I'm going, man, this really is a problem. I see why this was so important for God to say, look, you can't steal your neighbor's stuff because that takes away his security. Like if he, if he can't go to work and go about his business worried about you breaking into his house and taking stuff, that's going to lead to a miserable life. So anyways, um, you have your own stories. You know, you remember the times that your wallet was stolen. You remember when you were in playing sports and your coach said, hey, if, you, if you're going to miss it, don't leave it in the locker room, right? When the visiting team comes to town and it builds the culture, of course, if it's Snyder or whatever, you know, they're going to steal your stuff, right? Whoever your, whoever your rival is, they're going to come in and steal your stuff. All the, all the while, it's your teammate, but he's just going like, oh, yeah, Snyder came in here and stole our stuff, you know, but we've all had stuff stolen, and so you know your, you know your list. Any of you and many of you have run businesses. You've been a part of family businesses. You've worked for businesses where you're making decisions. Like, you're just going to nod your head and go, oh, yeah, this is reality. I mean, we see this all the time. Uh, I asked my dad this week, I said, hey, Looking back over all the years you've been in business, uh, you know, when, from the time you were a teenager till now, uh, what's the number one reason that you had to fire people? And he said, oh, without question, theft. You know, without question. And he told me a story one time of a guy that was, that was stealing from him, and he, and he was a, a partner, and he went to him. He said, man, what's going on? Stealing from me, and, and it turns out the guy was 30 grand in the hole in Rio Dosa. You know, he'd, he'd been going back and forth, and this was going on and on and on, and dad's like, wow. This, I didn't realize it gotten this bad, and so now we got to figure out how to get this thing back on the tracks. Um, I've got a, I was going through my files this week at the house, which are horribly out of date, and you can never find anything. If it weren't for Amberly, like I would never find anything. Well, I was looking for one thing, and, and I stumbled across while I was going through it an old car title. And this is a car that Amberly and I uh, sold to a young guy that was in our church, and we were just trying to help him out, you know, so we, we sold him this car. We were just kind of trying to help him get going and sold it to him for a song and and just we're trying to teach him how the process works and what you would do and all that well I've still got the title and I've never seen the car you know that's just how how the deal y'all know how that deal goes right so um that's uh, that's one of those things um I was talking to my baby brother who's who works in agriculture and uh runs a ranch and does a variety of things and we we have talked before and laughed and grieved before about People will say, and I mean, I can say this because I, I grew up this way and I love this way of life. People will say like, oh, farmers and ranchers, and you know, they're just, by virtue of being farmers and ranchers, they're just the salt of the earth. I mean, they never do anything wrong there. And we just look and go, oh my gosh, if you think we don't have the same stuff going on out there that we do in corporate places, it, you know, it's going on. And, and my brother was saying, yeah, it's just, it seems like what you see a lot of times in agriculture is 
just one person not holding up their end of the deal. You know, it's, it's like, well, I said I would do this and then I don't. And it's that inch by inch thing. Well, I'm just going to, I'll do it one calf at a time. And so we see it, you know, in every industry all along the way. Uh, I was talking to a local CFO this week and told me about a family business in East Texas uh, that their company does business with. It was a mom and pop chemical company. And you can go read the article on the DEA's website where they got busted uh, for trafficking, I mean, multi-million dollar drug trafficking deal where they're, they're trafficking a date rape drug out in the little, their little side store. Meanwhile, they have a successful business running and eight people get arrested from, you know, 20-something years old to 70-something years old. And you go, what is going on? Human trafficking, you know, this commandment back in the day, it was really understood to deal with possessions, but also it was a big issue to say, you can't steal people. Like, you can't take people from one family and just yank them out. You can't move them from one place to another. And it just occurred to me this week, can you imagine what it was like to have been born a slave and lived as a slave and worked as a slave and you get rescued out of Egypt and one of the first things you hear God say is, no one's going to take your stuff. Like, no one's going to steal your labor. No one's going to steal your time. And you're going to get a day off. Like, all of a sudden, that's... That's jubilee. I mean, that's like, that's better than a vacation. Like, I can work and live in peace and security. So the good news just keeps coming. Uh, you can imagine the relief. And of course, sometimes we see theft in a cycle, and we look at somebody and we go, gosh, that person was born to a person that was stealing. They've been stealing their whole life. We don't know where the cycle's going to stop. You just have to protect yourself from those people. And then other times... We've seen people steal, and, and they were the last person in a million years that we would have ever imagined, right? Like, I know a guy, a uh, college graduate, was an Army Ranger, uh, successful military career, gets a great job working in the oil field. A few years later, he looks up, and he's stolen almost a million dollars from a company that he had authority working in. And, you know, to say that his life changed is the understatement of the day. So what is going on. Why do we do these things? Why do we steal? Well, the short answer is for the same reason that we commit other sins that we commit against people. We're insecure and we have allowed fault lines in our character to develop where we can justify just about anything as long as it helps us get to the next day. Something that's going to make us feel like it's going to be okay. And the reason that stealing hurts so bad is because it erodes the dignity of the work of others. You see it in school all the time, right? The, the kid that's like, man, I worked my tail off to be ready for this test, and that guy's looking over my shoulder the whole time, and he makes the same grade I make, and he didn't do anything. You know, and we see the kids walk across the stage, and like, how did he end up with a 3-5, you know? But it's just, it's just little by little, and it deteriorates the work of others. And it erodes our sense of security. So we as a community of Christians, we're, we're always trying to rebuild that sense of security. I love this text from Hebrews 13. Keep your life free from the love of money and then be content with what you have. For God has said, or Christ has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Do you see the connection that the writer of Hebrews makes, he makes a connection between contentment with what we have and Jesus promised that he'll never leave us. 
And it just reminds me that we do a lot of things because we're insecure. Like we're afraid that we're going to get left out to dry, that we're not going to have enough, that something's going to come along and it's going to be too much for us to handle. So we constantly hedge our bets to try to get ahead. We, we're insecure. And so he's saying, look, if, if we could really believe that Jesus wasn't going to abandon us, that we were going to, you know, we're going to be okay, then we could live in that free way. It's guarding our heart by... Uh, it's like a virtue of contentment. I'm just saying, you know, there's another place where Paul says that godliness with contentment is a great gain. You, you know, learning to be content, the practice of gratitude, being content is a, is a great gain. Um, another antidote, or we could say the positive dimension of do not steal, is be generous, right? Be generous. And I'm talking to a room full of generous people. I've watched you uh, with, uh, with your habits. I've watched you serve in our community. I watch the food pantry doors open up and I watch people come in and serve people that need help, but the same kind of deal. You hear the same stories and it drives you crazy and you go, but we do it because God has given us a great amount of things and it's, it's a generosity response. Uh, Rebecca DeYoung points out that the word generosity, the Latin word for generosity is liberality. And liberality is just another way of saying we're free from something. You know, we're free from something. And in this case, to be free from an attachment to money is what generosity is all about. It doesn't mean that we don't have money. It doesn't mean that we don't, uh, but what does Paul say? You know, be careful and beware of the love of money. It's not money that gets us in trouble. It's loving it. It's undue attachment to money that gets us in trouble. And so a generosity, a truly generous person is not attached. Their heart is not attached to the resources. They're free and, and that's what it was really like to be free. It's just to be able to give. And so that's, that's what you see so many times with, with people. And that's why people say, like, how do they keep giving? Like, they give you the shirt off their back and you just watch it over and over again. People who are generous, they, give, they don't give because they have more than everybody else. They give because there's a disposition. They're free. And they know that this is the way to life. So that's what we see. The final way that we guard against Humil- or excuse me, against stealing is by cultivating humility, right? It's the good old-fashioned being humble. Uh, we see it modeled in Jesus who did not count equality with God something to be grasped or hung on to, but he gave his life for us. That's the model of Christian living is humility. Uh, James talks about it a lot, right? Uh, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is a way of life. When humility grows in us and we make honest assessments of what's going on, we're free to give our lives for the sake of God and for the sake of others rather than clinging to what we are afraid of losing. So um, another way that we steal, and, and you know, because we, we steal in a variety of ways. I mean, y'all are already thinking about great examples that I've totally thought of. One guy I was talking about this week that I talked to, like, oh, what about when we're at, we're, we're at work and we're social media or, you know, clocking in at the wrong time or, you know, all those kinds of things. Like, there's a million ways that we can figure out how to do this. But one of the greatest ways that we steal, and I learned this this week from a member of our church and also from Thomas Aquinas writing in the 14th century, where uh, sometimes we steal things and then other times we steal glory and honor and credit that does not belong to us. We steal glory and honor and credit that does not belong to us. Sometimes we even attempt to purchase it. We purchase position that doesn't really belong to us. 
Um, I'm going to read to you from an email from a friend this week and was just discussing the subject. And he said, Ryan, I have found that almost nothing can hurt people as much as having someone steal their work or success and take it as their own. Man, and that's the one that I couldn't shake this week. I thought, we've all seen that. We've all been in organizations and environments and in families where you just, you know, you work your tail off to get somewhere and someone comes along and takes the credit for it or they come in and, and try to downplay what you're doing or they try to sabotage what you're doing. And so the positive dimension of that then, the, he writes is, you know, the, the way of humility is the way of lifting others up. As God raises us up, as we're humble, we're lifting others up. We're saying, hey, look at this person over here. And hey, look at this person over here. And let's do this together. And let's not care who, who gets the credit, but let's make this work. And life gets really beautiful when it happens that way. That's what we see in the book of Acts after Pentecost, right? The believers are all together in chapter 2, and they have things in common, and their hearts are full of joy and generosity, is the way Luke says. They're full of generosity and joy, and they're sharing what they have, and they're serving the poor, and they're praying together, and they're doing all this crazy stuff because they don't care who gets the credit. And it doesn't take very long for the wheels to come off there just like anywhere, but it's a beautiful picture, and it happens in pockets throughout the history of the church. I want to close with the question of, okay, what do we do? What do we do when we are upside down? Like, what do we do when we find ourselves in a place where we've gotten ourselves in a hole, we, there was, we just missed it, and all of a sudden, we realize, oh, shoot, I'm in a hole. Or we're working with somebody that's in a hole, or whatever's going on. It's a very, there's a very hopeful pathway back to the community and back through Christ. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Remember what happened with Zacchaeus? You know, he's out here. He's a tax collector. Everybody's going to hate him for that. He's, he's trying to get a line of sight to Jesus when Jesus comes into Jericho. And, and uh, Jesus tells him, he's like, hey, Zacchaeus, uh, I'm, I'm coming over to your house today. You know, we're going to carry on this conversation. We're going to eat together, whatever we're going to do. And Zacchaeus is undergoing, he's, he's experiencing this conversion. He's, he's willing to change his life. It's like Jesus is worth it. From what I've seen, Jesus is worth it. I mean, we sing the song and he climbs the tree. He wants to see and all that stuff. But Jesus is worth it. And so Zacchaeus says, okay, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus goes, hey, I'm going to give back what I've stolen. Not just give it back, I'm going to give it back fourfold. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. And when we're in the middle of any of this stuff, we're, we're lost. And we need Christ to pull us out of that hole. And it's just, it's hopeful that we can make it. And I love the way Zacchaeus comes into the faith, that he has to make restoration. And he teaches us and reminds us that that's possible. I mean, I know it's not always possible to go, you know, dollar for dollar or whatever, but, you know, there's some way for us to make restoration through our life from here on out. We've discussed how to guard against theft, uh, the, the fault lines in our heart. We talked about it's important to make restoration uh, when we're seeking forgiveness. So what do we do when people have hurt us in this way? 
most of us have been stolen from, you know, whether it's the credit and the honor and the glory side or, or it's the actual possessions, it's stuff. Somebody took our tools. We had that one tool that we just loved and we had it sharpened just right and it was in that one place and they took it and it's like, I can't replace that. It's not about the money. I love that thing. Maybe y'all don't love chisels like I do, but whatever. You know, somebody's taking something from you and what do we do? I think there's a sense in which when someone steals from us, they become our enemy. They become our enemy. Like, if I steal from you, I have set myself up to be your enemy. I might say that I love you, but I just took something from you. I'm your enemy. I deserve the enemy's treatment. Now, we know what we're supposed to do with enemies, and we know that God ultimately judges enemies, and we know none of these unjust acts will go unpunished. At the end of all things, God will not forget. God will not overlook. It will be punished in the end. But what does Jesus tell us about loving our enemies? You know, he said, you've heard it said that, you know, you should love each other and all that stuff. He's like, but even the pagans do that. He said, I tell you what, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he goes on to talk about that. And that's the point where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus is not saying that we should never make mistakes, that we should never do anything wrong for the rest of our lives. That would be impossible. What he's saying is when, you, when it comes to love, especially when it comes to loving those people that are hard to love, you can be perfect in that. And there is time in this life for me to love perfectly. There's time in this life for us to love perfectly. And that's the journey that we're on. So, yeah, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. But, I mean, be smart. Don't, don't give them money again. You know, don't loan them another pickup. But just how can we try to encourage the restoration? And I just think, you know, if we have more time, we could, we could break down the movie Les Mis and the moving scenes there where we're reminded that the mercy that we show to others will not go unnoticed in the final judgment. And that motivates us. That gives us the character required to love perfectly in this life. And that's the good news. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.